everyone, this is Tatiana Judiez. I'm the host of, 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 of Thrive and Shine. We are having little technical difficulties this morning. Um, this is a podcast about authenticity, authentic power, and the leaders in the world that um, are committed to leading in their personal and business world as authentically as possible. So I have the privilege to be um, introducing new leaders every week and beautiful people um, that I absolutely adore. Every single one of them has been a gift. And so today we have Corey Blake. Corey Blake, welcome. You are the CEO of Roundtable Companies. It's a publishing and marketing companies that works around vulnerability. So welcome. Thank you so much. And so what, um, what is actually my very favorite topic? I think, I think it's vulnerability and, and uh, I think that it is such a taboo topic and it's now emerging thanks to the work of a lot of different people in, in society, including Bernie Brown and many others who are shedding light on this, um, this gift that we can use to become better leaders and, and um, better authentic. And I have a dog in my house. <laughs> that today, that is actually become um, a landmark for the postman coming and now it's become a, a habit on this show. So if we didn't have the dog, then I think the show wouldn't be the same anymore. <laughs> It's like babies crying in an audience, right? Right, right? exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's so just no the worries. Of life. It's yeah, good. exactly. So we rolled with the punches as we were talking about before. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, so I I feel that um, the work the work that you're doing is incredible. I've mm -hmm. met you at Conscious Capitalism. We share that bond. You are part of Conscious Capitalism, uh, and so am I. You were presenting um, at the conference that we had in December, and I was really, um, I was really taken by, by your demonstration of your authenticity on stage. I mm -hmm. thought, wow, this guy really walks his talk. And to me, that congruence, that level of congruence is by far the most, uh, um, admirable, can you say that in English? Admirable, um, admirable, yeah, admirable, admirable, um, quality in, in leaders. It's really being able to hold that level of integrity, whatever you talk about, you are holding dear in the way that you act upon it. And so that's why I really wanted to, um, spend a bit more time with you, interview it, interview you on this show. And so, you carry this, um, this, this, is it a mantra or is it now a trademark? Vulnerability is sexy. It's both. It's both. <laughs> it's both. It's a trademark and a mantra. Vulnerability is sexy. How cool is that? I love that. It's just, it's so true. It's sexy because it's, it, it just rips the layers off and it's so much more sexy uh, to, to see someone through through no lenses or no, well, people will always see that person through their own lenses. I understand that, but to strip away the masks, to strip away the layers and, and to show your vulnerability is such an act of courage. And, and, and it, and it's now in the workforce. That's what you do. So explain to us a little bit 
how you got to actually want to use vulnerability in the workforce. And of course, we're going to how you do it and what it's brought you. And I have a million questions. So <laughs> we could go, we could go far yeah. more than 50 minutes. That's for sure. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you very much. Your words are very kind and they mean a lot to me because I, I've put a lot of intention into how I show up, particularly at events so that I'm in alignment with what I do on stage mm -hmm. um, because I don't always experience that from people. And it was, something exactly. that that kind of yeah that i was noticing and i i felt i feel like is very important for the work right absolutely uh, so I, I got uh really into exploring vulnerability because we were well i i guess certainly you could say as an actor i was exploring it for myself in my previous career when i worked in los angeles as an actor and then when i transitioned over to book writing and started generating enough interest that I had to learn how to actually grow a business with my theater degree, right? Um, I, I, I started down this path of uh, helping people write a transformational book, right? I had a belief like I, you can't expect someone to change from reading your book if you don't change by writing it. And so uh, our, the books that we've put together have always had a very strong element of vulnerability. We recognized very quickly that what someone was willing to share on the first day was very different than the third month and what they were willing to start saying out loud. And then I found that in the sixth month, they'd start saying things that they didn't tell their spouse before. And then on the ninth month of working together, they'd say things aloud that they've never said to themselves before. And by constantly reflecting back non-judgment and love, when someone is experimenting with new language and sharing things that are challenging and taking on that courage, like you mentioned, when it's reflected back that way over a long period of time, like a year, um, I, what we've witnessed is there's this adoption phase where people start to accept that version of themselves mm -hmm. as this new identity. So it's a very vulnerable process and always found it fascinating. And we kind of came up with this tagline of vulnerability is sexy, recognizing that the, the, like the person being vulnerable, like when I'm in my moments of, of sincere vulnerability, when I'm in a shame spiral, like there's nothing sexy about that. But being witness to somebody, right, experiencing and 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 owning that courage and mm -hmm. and expressing something as their voice is shaking is a very is a is such a uh, life changing. Uh, it, it it can be life changing. It's life affirming to be in that moment of courage with somebody, and that's where we, where we use the word sexy. It's not sexual, but it is a, there is a turn on it, lights a fire, um, and then over time we started asking the question of could we apply that year-long process in other ways outside of writing books and that's I, I would say where our exploration around vulnerability really changed and deepened profoundly because we had to dissect the way that we created space for people and we had to break it apart and learn how to put it back together in a number of different ways mm -hmm. uh, so in many ways you can say we've been studying it in one form or another for two decades. Uh, but I certainly, it, it is a part of my everyday life at this point. And it's, and so should it be for everyone, I think, who um, needs to or wants to go deeper in, in any part of their life. I mean, vulnerability, we tend to think of it as, as um, something that happens when it just happens by default. That's how I think most people use it is, is, well, I ended up, I ended up being vulnerable in a personal 
environment, personal space. Sure. And then, mm-hmm. and then what I love about the work that you do, and of course I use this all the time in, in, in the work that I do with coaching and, and advising people, um, especially women to, to grow these high achievers that I work with typically have no desire whatsoever to be vulnerable. I mean, they have been taught to never get to that level and certainly not, uh, by desire by default maybe but certainly not by desire so the the intention to be vulnerable in a work environment so that it leverages a different um not only a set of, a different set of skills but a different um uh, a, a platform for for elevating the work that's what i'm really interested in in also talking about with you and i know you do this as well with companies so you mm-hmm. have this publishing company and this publishing um uh, methodology where you bring in vulnerability for these authors but you also do this in a in a corporate environment where you are hired to bring out or use vulnerability to bring out innovation to bring out creativity and many more other um um what traits or how do characteristics to the business and to the people for the business correct mm-hmm. yeah yeah it, it's a uh, uh, in my experience what i love about it so much is um the awareness i have that that previously when i resisted vulnerability i operated for me personally in a very fragmented way mm. that was that was um that was when i was operating from a uh, firm footing in imposter syndrome oh <laughs> and, and as i've i've done so much vulnerability work and explored parts of myself that i might have considered less lovable or uglier parts of myself as i shine a light on those and and love is extended in those places i have become more whole and more relaxed and more open to how the world wants to unfold as opposed to gripping tightly to a sense of control or resistance mm-hmm. that I used to have. And so that, that very much has been the impetus of, of supporting other people at an organizational level and at an individual level to access more of that wholeness also because it certainly seems in my experience that when we're more whole in life in general, we're certainly more powerful in life. And that means we're more powerful at work. You get a group of people together who are becoming more powerful in a work environment together in that way because they're more whole and they can approach business challenges from an entirely different place. It's really an exciting place from which to work. And I love that you use this word whole because that's the word I use all the time in my mission statement is I, 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 I use that word and most people I've often wondered whether I should reuse the word because a lot of people in the business environment go whole. I mean, what does, you know, so describe whole, describe a, a, a leader who operates from wholeness. So as an example, um, I'll share that, that I like, we all have light and shadow. Mm-hmm. So for myself, um, I consider like one of my superpowers Um, is that I'm really good at finding what's special about an individual or an organization. My, my background, my childhood programmed me to be able to do that really well 
and I flexed the heck out of that muscle growing up because it made my world safer. It was a form of control in many ways. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that, what happens later in life is, you know, I come to a realization as I start doing this deeper work, late 30s, early 40s, maybe even, you know, I'm 45 now. So maybe like when I was 43, start understanding that, um, that there is a shadow side to my superpower. Mm-hmm. And it's that I can, uh, when I want something, if I go in with an agenda, I can utilize my ability to make someone feel special to get what I want. When I was a kid, I would do that with teachers if I wanted them to favor me or I thought that I could gain an advantage. I could do that with a young lady if I wanted her to like me, right? Like there were ways that I utilized that as a kid that I rationalized through most of my life as well-intended and then come to a point when I really unpack that and realize I'm really manipulating people. And so, so I can pretend I don't do that and I can hide that part of myself from the world, mm-hmm. but then I'm, I'm fragmented in how I'm showing up. I'm showing, I'm, I'm limiting my dimensionality in terms of how I show up in the world because there's this, <clears throat> this energy that's going into hiding this part of myself. When I share that more openly, uh, I find that people, at least to my awareness, don't tend to use it against me. In fact, they might be more supportive. Hey, I kind of feel like maybe you're doing that thing that you sometimes do, in which case I can go, holy smokes, thank you for catching that because I'm a human being and it shows up, right? So I become, um, I, I divert less attention away from right the present moment. I'm expending less hiding and holding back or mm-hmm. you know, preventing people from seeing things, which brings me much more into the present moment where I am, in my experience, more whole, right? Because I am able to um, publicly recognize the parts of myself that are more challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just something about that and shining light and love in that place and and when I do that for myself, I get to do that for other people too. Of right? course. If I, if parts of myself I don't like and, I, and they show up in you, I'm going to find that very irritating <laughs> because I judge myself really poorly, right? Subconsciously, right. and I'll, I'll mm-hmm. do the same to you. So mm-hmm. all of that, I think, ultimately what I'm coming to, and, and thank you for the question because you're bringing me to a realization in this, is wholeness for me is, um, is, is a greater ability to ride the wave of presence and be right here in this moment. Mm. Beautiful. And so why would leaders want to lead in a whole or lead from an, a space of more wholeness? What does it, I mean, you've, you've identified beautifully what it does for you. What have you seen in the leaders that you work with um, that it brought them? How does it, how does it impact not only their leadership, but also their influence and likely the innovation of their team members and likely the retention of the team members because we know that vulnerability and wholeness bring more trust. So there is a whole I know um, that I want to that I really want you to shed light on. So it, it, there, are, there are many ways that it shows up, which is which I think makes makes it much more fascinating for me because I'm it's still unfolding for me, but I'll give you an example. I can give you a number of examples, but one, the first one that came to mind when you asked the question is a leadership that uh, a leadership team that I, I love very dearly. I've worked with them for a couple of years. Um, they run a, a branding agency, and they're um, 
their leadership team of about seven people um, had a tendency to um, to spin in chaos and um, and never really ground in an issue. Um, so one thing would emerge and all this energy would flood over there, but nothing would get solved. And then something else would take over and become like the prominent theme. And then all this energy would go over there. And it was a, it was a tremendous amount of effort that was extended by the group, but nothing ever reached closure, mm. right? Because they couldn't, they, they, they didn't have a, a, a whole beginning, middle and ending to a process. Um, and in many ways that, that shows up, um, when, when there is a lack of vulnerability in the room mm. and it can be, um, there's a perception of vulnerability that shows up when people get passionate or, um, or, or say things like, I'm just going to be honest here, <laughs> which is, which is pretty much. As opposed to <laughs> what you're not normally honest. That's usually what I say to people when they say that to me. <laughs> it, it, it cracks me up. It essentially says I'm, I'm going to be an asshole. It's really what they're about. To say. <laughs> but I'm going to give myself license because I'm, calling it vulnerable and honest. Right. But, but, um, but as soon as we kind of grounded the group and we, and I, and we literally, like, I remember that I remember watching them spin for half an hour, trying to really figure out how they were, they were kind of just playing a game with each, like not intentionally, but that's just what it, yeah. Yeah. it can devolve into. And, and so um, actually getting them grounded, slowing them down was huge, getting them into the present and then starting to access some vulnerability around what was really going on dynamically changed the entire way that they were relating to one another. And the work that we got done over the two days that we were spending together was just I mean, monumentally different than what can get solved from a place of, of anarchy. Mm -hmm. um, so in many ways, vulnerability is an access point to hearing each other from an entirely different place mm -hmm. where it is uh, less of you are an obstacle to what I want and more of we are mutual human beings carrying around backpacks heavy with life stuff mm -hmm. who are here to really support each other. Mm -hmm. um, so I find that, so, so typically like when I go into an organization and work, whether it's with a leadership team or if I'm doing a training of their staff or we're doing core value or purpose work, we oftentimes open up with, um, I'll do a vulnerability demonstration of what are the levels of vulnerability that are available to us mm -hmm. all the way down to getting really intimate with a group of people I don't know. So that by the end of 30 minutes, they know more about me than they know about most people that they've ever met. <laughs> and, but recognizing at each step, are they, are they repelled by my vulnerability or are they drawn closer? Mm -hmm. And m almost all, I mean, certainly not across the board, but most of the time people trust me more when I reveal things that are untrustworthy about myself. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm, of course. Uh, so, and then we, and then we spend about 45 minutes usually actually playing our vulnerability as sexy game. And I facilitate that play and they answer these questions in front of each other and share things that they've never shared to the people that they have worked next to for five, 10, sometimes 20 years mm -hmm. in 45 minutes. They know them better than they've ever known them in the time that they've worked together and they see something really magical and special about each other. Mm. And when we now try to go into topics that matter to the business, like what do we stand for when we work together or how are we approaching this big challenge we haven't been able to find a solution for, they listen to each other from such an entirely different place 
that to me, it, like the goal of all of that vulnerability work is to get us on the edge of the wave together so we can ride that. I guess to some degree that's innovation. Might be, that might be a term that people use for that, but it's, it's bringing us into the present in that moment when we're on the surfboard, feeling our way into what's occurring right now. What are our, what's our physicality telling us about this challenge? It's not just our, like it's actually, vulnerability is in many ways about releasing the intellect Mm -hmm. and getting into mm -hmm. the heart and body space where there's just an inordinate amount of wisdom that we carry but don't typically have access to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All that. All that <laughs> and more. Yes, that's it? Really? <laughs> yeah, a little, little dabble. Well, it's just, it's simple. You just open your heart and just dig in. Um, has it ever what are the moments that have been difficult? I know vulnerability does not feel safe. Um, it doesn't feel safe, especially in the work environment, uh, let alone in a vulnerable positioning with a lover, someone we're getting to know. Um, I mean, I know, for instance, recently, and, and that those are the, uh, the steps towards shedding more and more layers in life, getting to a higher level, ascending to more consciousness. Um, what I've experienced personally is that uh, every time I hit a new, a new um, possibility to become even more vulnerable, as I am, uh, as I am, for instance, uh, shedding the layers with a man in my life who is uh, someone I'm getting to know. Uh, it's, you know, I, I've been single for a long time. I mean, single mm. for a long time. It's just, it's, it, it, I have not yet, you know, remarried, let's put it that way, or, sure. or been in a long-term relationship. Um, and so, obviously, those moments are, are where, you know, all of a sudden, one or I have completely shed, 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 yeah, shed the, the layer and decided to, to open myself up and be vulnerable. It's it's a little bit it's a little bit scary. It's 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 um, it, there is a wave of shame sometimes with you know I, I mean it it's it's fascinating to me in to actually observe it in me because mm. I did the work I have always been in self development and and it fascinates me to witness in me still these moments even though I've done a lot of work that show up these moments always show up sure. right sure. and they will continue to show up for the rest of our human lives so it could be with a child it could be with a grandchild it could be with just about anyone so what i it's it's like a it's like integrity it's a mountain without a top <laughs> like you can <laughs> never you can never be too vulnerable or maybe you can I think, like what are I the think, parameters? I think yeah, no, I, I think um, I think it's important to um, to set yourself up for a positive, vulnerable experience, and that's something we're not taught how to do. Right. Um, and we re and we 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 realize actually that there is a process for that um, as we were kind of like I said dissecting our book writing process. We did uncover that there's actually a number of steps that we can take to. Um, to improve the odds of a positive outcome. 
Um, when we don't take those steps, we can we can risk more than the container is prepared for, so to speak. Exactly. And we can create really long-term damage for ourselves, scar tissue that might take us a decade to get through, right? If we ever get through it. So I think I think it's wise to um, to to be cautious in certain ways, and I can share some of the steps that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, please. For sure. Um, and the more that I practice vulnerability, the more that I find new areas that are more challenging than the last. That certainly happens. I had one experience that was particularly fascinating to me um, and, and just awesomely challenging. Um, I, I do this work around employees and I do this work around clients sometimes. And so um, we, I studied for a while out of the Gestalt Institute of Cleveland and the methodologies that I learned uh, from that therapeutic practice have been infused into our business. I use them every day in the work that I do with people. So vulnerability accompanied by that methodology, I find mm-hmm. to be particularly impactful in business. And so I'm doing this work at the Institute. We, a bunch of people flew with us to Cleveland. We had two master facilitators there, people who I consider to be wizards. They've each been doing this for 30 years, right? And so I feel very safe with them. And yet they're human beings too, right? So this thing occurred where I started doing some pretty deep work in front of everybody and found that, um, that, the, that, that a number of people in the room got really freaked out. <laughs> and it was because what eventually we unpacked was um, they knew me as a certain stand, right? For love and for being a safe container for them. And the way that I experiment sometimes with vulnerability as a former actor, something that I do is sometimes I try on different costumes emotionally and I play to see what feels right. But if I don't tell people that's what I'm doing and they think that's just the way I am, which is what happened in this moment, people felt like this, like knowing me and how I showed up in the world, it gave them this sense of grounded peace and when in a moment that seemed to entirely go away, there was this feeling like they were, they were really rocked and didn't know how to, like they felt discombobulated, disoriented. And then it became very challenging for me to do my work, right? Because a lot of people needed to be taken care of. So, and, and here I'm going like, why are the facilitators not seeing this? And they didn't, you know, like there's so much that still is yet to be revealed in each each one of us as human beings. So that was one instance that that I, it was incredibly challenging in the moment. And yet I was like, when someone literally physically backed away from me and said, um, I feel really unsafe around you right now. I was able to recognize what was happening. And I believe my response was, I hope you don't feel that way by the end of our time here, but I'm okay with the fact that that's where you are right now as I'm doing this work, as opposed to rescuing, right, the other person and all this stuff. So there's a lot of care, I think, that does need to be taken. And having um, support in the room that can hold things when they seem like they're going off the rails can be really important. Now, that's not necessarily at every stage, but when you start getting into the, the deeper work, I think that's particularly important, right? Mm-hmm. To have professionals mm-hmm. in the room who know mm-hmm. how to manage these moments mm-hmm. and handle them with the amount of care that's required because this is just such personal stuff. 
so so there's so I wanted to share that because it's a um, I think a fascinating moment that occurred and was just particularly challenging for me to weave through and yet I I felt like I did it as gracefully as I could so I'm also proud of that. <laughs> Good job, Corey. How <laughs> did how did how did that person um, go at the end? Like how did it work? Um, lovely. Uh, I, I mean, <laughs> the, the best way to, to describe that is is um, uh, or I guess to describe the outcome is to say that that. Uh, that occurrence was, I think, about two years ago, and I had breakfast with her when I was in Dallas last. And there's, we've done work together since then. There's more for us to do together. And she's um, the HR director at the multi-billion-dollar level. So this is a person who's very done a lot of work herself, and also in charge of a lot of people's welfare in many regards. Right. So. Um, so being able to be in that environment where we can do the deep work and at the end of it, leave trusting each other more. Mm -hmm. That's where I think it's really fascinating is what's the danger point? And is there yeah. another side of the danger that makes it worth it? And I think I've, we've, multiple times I've found that there is, but I've also, you know, I've also found that there are times when, when things seemed unrecoverable. Hmm. So that's, that's exactly where I wanted to, um, where I wanted to go is <clears throat> at what point is it unsafe to be vulnerable within a business environment, let alone personal, but within a business environment? And how do you then suggest to, or how have you experienced saving the, 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 the situation, bringing it back? I mean, this is a great example. Um, Yet I'm sure that there has been moments where it 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 wasn't contained in the in in the best way and it became unsafe. So what would you recommend? Sure. Um, <clears throat> so there's a number of things that are popping for me right now. Um, sometimes sometimes unsafe is okay. Sometimes unsafe leads to an appropriate outcome. Mm -hmm. Sometimes uh, blowing something up is really healthy thing to do mm -hmm. right because um sometimes it's the only way that we it's the only tool we have accessible to break off a relationship that needs to be broken off anger is more accessible than grief right mm -hmm. so sometimes we need to blow stuff up because mm -hmm. that's that's just a way that that we are oddly more comfortable ideally we want to be accessing a range of tools that allow us to close and go through grief and end things that, that where there's a seasonal ending that's whose time has come, but if but that's not always accessible. So sometimes you know things just need to be destroyed, um, and that can be okay. Like some people just need to leave that job, and sometimes mm -hmm. the only way they're going to go is screaming and yelling at each other. Like so, it's not ideal, and um, and there may be a, a fair amount of stress during the transition, right? But ultimately, after that transition, which maybe a few years down the road, that's not unusual, right? There can be gratitude again mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. the fact that it's happened. Now- Just like any relationship, personal, absolutely. right? I, I, I think I, what, I, what I learned in the Gestalt program for sure is that there is a beautiful process for closure. It's not easy. It takes being very forthcoming. It takes the risk of vulnerability, but you get to then acknowledge all the ways that the relationship has provided blessings. Mm -hmm. You get to- in essence, ceremonial, ce ceremonially celebrate what the relationship was 
and then you get to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of that is it becomes a revolving doorway where later in life, you, there's, there's still the potential for relationship as opposed to something that's been blown up, in which case chances are very unlikely. So, so there's that. So, so let me, uh, if you want, we can get into some of the practicality. So is yeah, that fair? Absolutely, yes. Kind of some of the brass tacks, what do you do? So what we recognized in our book writing process that we, that we eventually dissected was that um, we, we would often tell our authors to keep the content of the book that was being manifested between them and the team on our, in our group that they were working with to keep it private because it's fragile. It's emotionally fragile. And then there would come a point, typically seven, eight, even nine months in sometimes, where we'd say, okay, we want you to take this to the person that you feel the safest with in your whole life. Oftentimes it ends up being a spouse, right? If they're married. And in this example, they would take it to their spouse, nerves, anxiety, what will they think of me? And the spouse reads it and comes back with the most loving, amazing feedback of there's so much I didn't know. This is a gift for our future generations for like, like mind blown. And within seven seconds, it's an estimate, within about seven seconds, <laughs> they will entirely disregard their, their spouse's opinion because they will shift into, you love me, you have to say that, mm. right? So that's normal. So then we say, okay, take it to a person who is one step less safe than the first person you took it to. Could be a sibling, could be a parent, could be a mentor. Typically, it's still out of the workspace. It's someone in the personal realm, typically. They'll take it to that person. Anxiety, nervousness, same thing will happen. Immense gratitude. Oh, my God, blow my mind. And they'll disregard that person in seven seconds. You love me, you have to say that. The third layer is where things start to shift. Because that's when it typically goes to a colleague or it goes to a classmate or someone who is outside, just outside the very personal sphere. And when that person has typically the similar reaction, it's, it's harder for them to disregard. And typically after the third person, they get to the point of saying, ah, give it to the world, I'm fine. <laughs> but before that, they're really not ready for it. If it went out to the world before that, um, they're, they're not ready for it. The material is not ready for it because the feedback that we'll get from the first two people is important to listen to. And sometimes mm-hmm. it does impact the content and we need to you know, consider things that haven't been considered yet. Or maybe, maybe they need to go have a conversation with a parent about a portion of the book before it gets released to the public, right? And say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm telling this story from our family growing up, mm-hmm. and I want you to know and give me any feedback before it becomes public so I can hear your response and consider it. That's mm-hmm. a very respectful approach, right? So, mm-hmm. so, so setting up, it would be a very vulnerable experience for my mother to read the story that I wrote about her in my book that she didn't even know was in there and a friend told her about. Now she's coming like, you know, I'm not, I'm not setting up a successful potential <laughs> outcome. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so giving consideration to um, layering into what I call um, uh, concentric circles of less and less safety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for some people, it, it might go spouse, sibling, colleague, 
group of colleagues and then whatever I'm fine, right? Um, so, so recognizing that um, in essence, what they're doing is they're, they're flexing a muscle, they're training, mm. right? You're, you're doing like by going to a place that is seemingly safe and doing a workout there, right? Like you get a certain amount of, of value from that, your body, it's a workout. Mm-hmm. You go a little bit less safe, it's like heavier weights. Mm-hmm. You go a little bit less safe and you share something new, right? It's like a different exercise. You're working different muscles. All that stuff can be, I think, correlated in this way. The other really important aspect of setting up a successful vulnerable experience is the initial request. So if I have something vulnerable that I want to share with you, Tatiana, right? It is really important that I not just start sharing it because you might not be in a position to really be able to be a good listener, right? So the invitation of, I have something to share that I feel nervous to tell you, but I think it's important to share. Do you have the ability to be present with me for the next 15 minutes or so or half an hour or whatever I think it's going to take? That gives you an opportunity to say either yes or no or yes, but. Maybe it's, I really want to be present for you, but I got a kid at the doctor's office right now who you know mm-hmm. broke a wrist and I'm waiting mm-hmm. for a text from my you know, from my mother who's with him at the, at the, at the doctor's office. And if my phone buzzes, I'm going to look at it. Right. Just by sharing that and negotiating your presence, mm-hmm. we can either say, okay, let's do it now, or let's do it at an agreed upon time when you can be present. Mm-hmm. First key, because if Ask. I start sharing and suddenly you're looking at your phone and I don't know what's going on, my head mm-hmm. is going to go to I am not important to you. And that's not correct. That's the story. That's the story story we started telling ourselves. Absolutely. When we're in a potentially vulnerable situation, the stories are particularly dramatic and typically incorrect, (laughs) but they're powerful, right? So so the presence request is huge. The the next one is a request for, I'm going to ask as I share this, that you do your best to try to withhold judgment Mm -hmm. in what I'm going to share with you. Judgment is a very human thing. We can't turn it off entirely, but simply by making the request, we do tend to lessen um, the the extreme nature of our of our tendency to judge. So that request is helpful. Mm-hmm. And the third one is, um, I'm going to ask that you just listen, and that you not try to fix me or solve mm-hmm. this for me. Whoa! So if you can get it, <laughs> that's a tough one for most people. It is, and yet the request alone, right, um, makes it so much easier for people. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, ideally, what we can expand as we practice this is the ability to recognize what a fix or a solution looks like in action, so that after I've made the request and you've agreed to it, if you start doing it, I can actually say, "Hold on, I'm going to slow you down because I feel like you're doing some fixing. Can we back out of that?" In which case, you can be like, "Thank you so much. Didn't even realize I was doing that." Right. right? But that, yeah. that's, that's you know, kind of you know, medium level skill mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that we want to develop over. This is where the flexing of the muscles mm-hmm, and the practicing mm-hmm. of this stuff can be super impactful. We, we learn how to manage the moments when people slip into things we haven't requested. And it's not that we're trying to control them, but our goal is to be typically is to be heard and walk away still feeling lovable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. When, when we when we do this, we do this exercise um, and we play this game 
um, in sometimes in large groups of people. And it is so fascinating to watch a group of people fall in love with each other so fast and, and recognize how much they care about each other and how much value they got from each other. And nobody fixed anything for anybody else. It was just a matter of feeling heard. And, and, and I'm not even kidding when I say this, this happens like almost across the board after we're done and people get dismissed, they will not move out of the groups that they've been connected to for a minimum half an hour. Nice. Like they can't leave because the connection is so profound, right? So those are just a few tips that, that can dramatically impact the ability to have successful experiences and to practice them mm -hmm. and to get better at all of this because it is a lifestyle choice. It is not an overnight intuitive capability that most of us have learned at some point, we have to develop it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's great. Those are amazing tips. I mean, at least it gives, a, it gives an idea for the listener to be able to create that container. And it's a very simple way to create the container as well. And so is there a way to measure vulnerability? Um, from what standpoint, like well, the level, like how much, how vulnerable somebody is or the impact are you speaking of? I think I'm speaking of more of, um, for people listening and, um, and, and in leadership roles in their companies, how can they measure whether their, their, the, the level of vulnerability has served, um, their outcomes and their personal, um, their personal outcomes within the company, and also how is it possible for them to to measure that level of vulnerability within the company? What happens when when those companies function the the without enough vulnerability? So um, I think it's important to acknowledge that uh, that typically leadership. Um, sets the depth of the pool, so to speak. Mm -hmm. If leadership is dipping their toe in the water, nobody's going to dive in. That mm -hmm. is not a safe space. But if leadership starts and shares at a level that people recognize as, let's say, a 10-foot pool, not to say everyone else is going to dive into 10 feet, but they'll be far more comfortable going to six feet or eight feet. Mm -hmm. so, because it all there's starts this, at the top. It starts at the top, but it also starts... Um, it doesn't have to start at the top. It's, it actually yeah. starts, um, it actually starts, I guess you could say with the first, with the first person to be courageous enough to do it mm -hmm. um, and determining what happens as a result. So if leadership's in the room, but someone else models it, then leadership's response determines the level of depth. Correct. If it freaks out leadership, everyone else freaks out. If leadership yeah. is moved and that's obvious, other people are encouraged. So it doesn't always have to necessarily be initially exemplified by them but i do think overall that's a really important part mm -hmm. if they're engaged in doing the work um, it gives permission to everybody else to do the work also mm -hmm. in terms of the um, the measurability of impact um, for most companies it does show up anecdotally if they're not operating at scale if they're operating at scale, then there's a very strong tendency that they'll have measurable um, uh, processes in place, mm -hmm. right? So, mm -hmm. um, so as an example, we're working with a company right now um, that has 250 agents at a call center. Mm 
-hmm. and and they have typically been data collectors and salespeople, and I'm currently training them to um, to be interviewers, collecting stories at scale, thousands a week, thousands a day, stories. Wow. Okay. Uh, right. And so um, um, for that company, they have a they have a huge number of of uh, a huge amount of data that will be accessible, and as things shift and we engage in this new project, they're going to be able to measure employee engagement. Um, from a multitude of factors, not just around this project, but around all of their work. And so they'll be able to see, because I have to train them to be vulnerable with each other so that they know what it looks like so that they can set up a space conducive to vulnerability mm -hmm. from the storyteller. So, so all of their relationships are going to be impacted, how they treat each other you know, on a day-to-day basis. -day. All that will be impacted and will be measurable because they have, um, they have certain um, scorecards in place, so to speak. It typically shows up anecdotally at, at smaller organizations, um, but the ways that it show up are, for example, like I said, it, when you know what's in your what's in someone else's backpack from a life standpoint, mm -hmm. uh, and you can watch people who know what each other's carrying with them and how they support one another and um, and become solutions for one another, as opposed to when I don't know what's in your backpack and I can. It, it, emotionally dehumanize you and just consider you an obstacle to my, <laughs> to this thing that I need to get done, right? Um, the difference between how do we function in a dehumanizing toxic environment, as opposed to what are our outcomes? Uh, there might be some measurables in place, but I think typically um, the goal is to, to have measurables in place anyway, and see how those are impacted by this work. And ideally, it's a it's a profound impact. But certainly, there's an opportunity for a for a very dramatic outcome, mm -hmm. which is what I love about this work because it's at a diagnostic level. This is not band aid stuff. I mean, this is like, oh no, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yes, I would love to be a little mouse. <laughs> it's fascinating. I'll tell you, it's fascinating to watch. Oh yes, I. That's why it's literally one of my favorite favorite topics. Where are you still um, not as vulnerable as you would like to be in your life? Um, home is always the hardest, right? Like my wife's opinion matters more than anybody's. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so there are always new challenges that are, that are unfolding in that space. Um, I think, I mean, in many ways, there's more than ever before. There's more of those places because the more that I do this work, the more I think I, I realize there's vulnerability available in, in every interaction. Exactly. And, mm -hmm. and, and some of it is simply uh, the vulnerability of recognizing I cannot prioritize um, doing this work in every single moment in the way that I would like. <laughs> Because it's intoxicating for me too, but you know, like it's like consciousness. To be conscious about everything is impossible. It would require an infinite amount of time. This pen demands my attention right now, but that's not <laughs> right. Like everything, like so. So we have to prioritize consciousness, which is an right. un, like I'm going to actually prioritize where am I willing to be unconscious for the sake of. Sounds paradoxical. So yeah. It is. It is. One of the things I've leaned into lately is um, um, I have long-standing issues around money that come from uh, previous generations in my family, mm -hmm. uh, Jews, Holocaust, hoarding for safety, like all this kind of stuff, um, the value of time, like all this stuff is impacted. And I've been exploring that more publicly lately. And that's a, 
that's a place that's definitely uncomfortable for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more work that I do with it, the less uncomfortable I am. So it's really exciting to watch me engage in conversations that I used to avoid mm-hmm. because it's becoming a place that's just less scary, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So there, you know, I think it's a muscle, right? The more we use it, the yes. more we discover that there, it needs to be used, and the more comfortable we become with each step. And the stronger we become, the more we can tackle tougher stuff, which is cool. Exactly. So, what can you not go without? What can um, I not go without? Yes, during a day. Um. Well, connection is the word that's coming to me, um, but but it's more than connection. It is um, it is being in a magical moment with one other person. Like, I I crave that pretty regularly. I oftentimes get it many times a day. If I don't get it at all during a day, I I think I feel starved. Mm, that's beautiful. What a great way to end the show. A magical moment of depth. It's pretty cool. And I love Point. it. You took off your glasses so that we. <laughs> I'm blind without mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just I want to read my notes, and I want to make sure that uh, that I read my notes. Actually, that's primarily it. Um, but thank you so much. What a delight you are, and um, I wish you the very best. I wish you more vulnerability because it is so damn sexy. And thank you, thank you so much for being part of this show. And thank you so much for creating this moment of magic with me. I'm really, really uh, grateful. This thank was lovely. You. Yes. Thank you, Tatiana. I appreciate it so much. All right. Have a great end of the week, I guess. It's Monday. <laughs> Have a great end of the week. For, for any of your listeners who want to know what they stand for, um, I do invite them to go to roundtablecompanies.com yes. slash purpose. Yes. I've, I've created a 30-minute guided experience that bypasses the intellect and invites people into what are they here to do with their oh, life. Perfect. Awesome. And I'm so proud of it. I do it with organizations at a very high price. I do it for keynotes, and it's it's free to anyone who goes to that. that That's link, awesome. Roundtablecompanies.com slash purpose. Slash purpose. Okay. Mm-hmm. We will send it all. And um, so thank you again. We'll see you soon. I'm sure we'll find another way to connect on this show. I'll invite you to talk more about vulnerability. I look forward to <laughs> Take it. Take care. Thank you, thank you. Bye for now. Bye for now.